Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. Don't forget, in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Labels Podcast. If you don't know already, my name is Lucy, and I'm here with Alice. Hello, Alice. Hello, Lucy. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Good. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, um, had I'm quite cold. I was going to say, not it's it's getting distinctively cold, and yeah. I do not like it. No, I I would have quite liked somebody to put the heating on, but apparently we're not doing that yet. So I just <laughs> sit here and my teeth chatter. Um, yes, yeah, yes. We've we've had that conversation. Um, <laughs> when I when I was at school, when yeah. I went to an all girls school, when we lived in uh, North London, yeah, my teachers, you were not allowed to wear trousers like what <laughs> so so we had a school school uniform and yeah. you had to wear a skirt between the months of may and october like end of october oh, no man. matter how cold uh-uh. it was you could not turn up to school until like <laughs> after the october bank holiday in trousers could you wear like thermal tights you could wear thermal tights but have you tried you know wading through the snow in in thermal it's just listen listen babe <laughs> listen right uh, have you ever tried? Have you ever seen somebody who can't stand up try and get in a pair of tights? It takes <laughs> it takes three people to get me in tights, so uh, we don't bother really. To be fair, no. to be fair, I am wearing tights today and regretting every minute of yeah, it. Exactly. So they they are the work of the devil. They are yes. Um, but whether you can walk or not, so. <laughs> three people to get you in tights is ridiculous mm. and quite embarrassing, really. I um, can imagine. Yeah. I wonder if our guests ever had call to wear <laughs> I don't know. Wear so, tight. so our guest today uh, is Mick Scarlett. We're very excited about this episode, aren't we, Alice? We are. We um, are a bit excited, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> I'm just warning you now, Mick, we might be fangirling over you in about 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, he Claire, says, go on. He says sitting here quietly, <laughs> not joining in the tights conversation. <laughs> uh, so it's lovely to have you, Mick. How it's are lovely you? to be here. I'm very well, thank you. And yes, I have worn tights because uh, it's a builder's trick to wear thermal tights under your trousers in winter to keep you warm. There so you uh, I was taught that by my father when I was quite young. Um, it was also quite handy because I used to wear a caliper on my right leg and it also meant the caliper didn't rub against it. So I, mm. I was I was going to school in tights long before we had all this gender stuff i was there <laughs> and it did make uh, getting changed for pe an interesting experience why is the cripple kid wearing tights i don't know i think we i'm not sure why we want to beat him up but we want to beat him up it's just we've got a new reason now <laughs> unfortunately they learned they should never try that because never pick on the kid whose leg is made of metal yeah i was thinking that when you were talking about calipers i was like yeah. I'm not sure I'd want to pick a fight with somebody no, with a pair no, of calipers. They, they all learn. They all learn quite quickly. I was very clever. What I would do is pick on them uh, 
I like so they'd be bullying me. Eh, this will pick on Mick, and then I'd wait till whoever was the leader was on their own, and then I'd kick them with it in the bits that boys don't like being kicked nice. in. Yeah. Uh, and I'd say, if you don't, if you do it again, I'll do that in public. So yeah. you'll be beaten up by the cripple kid, and they'd be like, "Oh, I don't do that." So no, no, no one ever tried it again. The only kid that ever tried it was uh, a guy called Trevor who appeared on Swap Shop, right, for collecting things that were free. <laughs> he <was just laughs> and he had this huge collection of just crap that was free. Free uh, stuff. And he was the only one, and that was because I kind of felt a bit bad about kicking Trevor because he was, he, was, he was sort of a little bit more worse off than I was, shall we say. So, uh, yeah, so, so, and he beat the living poo out of me, and I was like, all right, respect. You've done to me what all the other kids I've done to them. In the, you know, I wasn't bullying him, but you know, he, I think he just tried to be a bit big. You know, I know go, I'll pick yeah. on Mick. No Sh- one picks on Mick. Why don't people pick it? on Mick? <laughs> <laughs> My mum tells a story. My mum is in her seventies now. I won't give you her exact age. She would not appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and she tells this story about how she still feels really terribly guilty because when she was in primary school, there was a girl uh, who had calipers because she had polio mm. and my mum pushed her over. Oh, she, no. bro- she broke her leg. Oh, and no. uh, and my mum felt was, is, she tells the story and she always says, Oh, and I've just, I feel so terrible about it. it was so, you know, she was just a kid but then I got her to talk about it a bit more once and actually go into the story a little bit and I was like what why did you push her over she was like oh she was a bitch <laughs> there you go <laughs> right now Alice have I ever told you the story about when I broke uh somebody's arm in hockey I thought you were going to say have you ever told have I ever told that story when a, when a, when a, when a woman at school pushed me over and broke my leg and I was like hang on a minute Lucy you're not that old are you <laughs> I, uh, I I um, broke a girl at school's arm in hockey. I think you've told me this. She did have brittle bones. <laughs> yeah. That was my reaction, Nick. But <laughs> uh, well, in my defence, again, she was a bit of a bitch. She didn't like me. Can, can, and... I, can I just ask, what kind of mad school goes, I know, <laughs> let's get the kid with brittle bones to go and play hockey. I was well, the captain exactly. of the school hockey Exa- team. That was and it my was argument. Like, murder ball you know you you just whack the crap out of each other with your stick and it was like oh that sticks above your shoulder don't care mate i'm coming at you but it didn't help that i get a bit carried away when playing competitive sports i can believe that as well and i was swinging this hockey stick around my head you're not allowed to do that in hockey and i just went thwack across her arm and she just looked at me went you broke my arm i was like well you shouldn't be shooting my way then should you I also splashed another girl's face in the swimming gala because she was winning. And I thought, I'm not having it. I'm not having it. Move out of my way, you whiny little bitch. <laughs> I'm, I'm confused as to why you're, we're not talking a now Paralympian Lucy well, here. Exactly. Because, you know, let's face it. That's the, that's the go-getting killer attitude of a Paralympian. It is, isn't it? I think, I think the problem is, is Lucy likes to win, but she doesn't like to put the work into no. exercise. Uh-uh, so. no, I'm not, uh, no. So the answer is pick a sport that's new, isn't it? Like, so pick a new one and go, oh, that's the one for me. <laughs> I think, I think the chips eating Olympics, Lucy could manage yeah. that. Don't you think we should start up an Olympics that's the opposite, like a Paralympics <laughs> for, for real people, yes. where we where we do things like you know competitive cake eating, competitive <laughs> television watching, and say, so, oh, he's managing his ninety eighth hour without sleep watching crap on Netflix, and it's like, yeah, that. 
So Absolutely. that's the Paralympics I not only would watch, <laughs> but want to compete in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There we go. We're already off to a good start with this episode. <laughs> uh, Mick, we normally are straight off the bus, but ask people uh, to introduce themselves and tell them a bit about you. So would you like to do that? Yes. Um, uh, for anyone under the age of, God knows what, I mean, God, it's getting so long now, it's ridiculous. So anyone under the age of about 35, probably have no idea who I am. But uh, once no, upon a we time... Know. We're not quite 35. Oh, well, that's, good. that's, good. that's made me feel much better because I'm getting a bit confused <laughs> as, to, as to who used to watch me. Many years ago, uh, I am a wheelchair user. I had cancer as a baby, so I've always been disabled. Um... Uh, and uh, was in a band and I used to do music and I wanted to be a pop star and then I got spotted to do television uh, and started doing TV in 1989 and for a while was kind of, I don't know, the the older, the, the previous generations, Adi Adepitan, uh, in that everyone knew who I was and I was always on telly and I had spiky hair and leather outfits and was all a bit punk rock. Um, uh, <laughs> that's uh, then, very much how I remember you yes. yeah and uh, so I did that and then I um, uh, kind of you know got a bit old and a bit less popular and television likes its new talent so I um, uh, retrained as an access consultant and went off and worked with businesses trying to get them to be more accessible whether it's physically or systemically oh that's the kind of talk I do in my office <laughs> um, and then by mistake I got back into the arts and so now I'm currently producing a show at the Barbican so I don't know how that happened <laughs> but yeah I have a very strange career because I, I did music didn't want to be on telly got spotted and got into telly so I did that that took off great wonderful super fast superstar all over the world my one of my shows got syndicated all over the English-speaking world so I was famous in America and Australia and Canada and you know New Zealand which was nice. Couldn't get to any of them because I couldn't face the flight. But anyway, um, <laughs> I don't like flying. So, uh, and then uh, the, the show won an Emmy. Um, I, I got a BAFTA nomination. I was voted Children's TV Presenter of the Year in 1992. Um, That's and... probably just around the time that me and Lucy will have been watching you as yeah. well. We had a conversation about this last week, Mick, and we were like, mm. can you remember what the name of the programme he was on is called? Neither me nor Alice could remember ah. what the programme was called. Well, I, I don't... I, if you, if I had you a strange, tell me, I'll be, I'll be like, oh yeah, it that was, was it. It was called Beat That. And right. it was on Channel 4 and it went, because uh, I don't know if you know Andrew Miller, but Andrew Miller's another disabled presenter and we mm. basically presented Kids TV opposite each other. So basically he'd do six weeks, then I'd do six weeks. It was really weird. So <laughs> Channel 4 was the first people to kind of have proper disabled people presenting Kids TV. Mm. Um, and Beat That was on either before or after, I can never remember, I think it was after, Pob, which was kind of the puppet that spat at the camera. Spat, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pob, yeah. Um, yeah. He used to say, and, Pob. Yeah, Pob. Pob. <laughs> and he looked a bit like Michael Gove. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> that, he did. That, I can't see that now. So, and what was weird was because I used to go, I mean, I, I, I did Kids TV, but I was like heavily into music and clubbing and I was DJing in all these clubs and stuff. And I'd go to these clubs and then all these people would go, oh yeah, I saw your programme. And I'd be like, why? It's Sunday morning. <laughs> and then realise there's nothing else on. No. It was, it was religion, politics, mm -hmm. cooking mm -hmm. or me. Um, and people in clubs, as I later discovered, are a little bit more awake on a Sunday due to some <laughs> things they might have done yes. um and so 
that's why I had so many people who were much older than the target audience watching the program, which is why I had such a huge viewership because yeah. all over the country and all over the world, punks and alternative people would be like, oh, it's Sunday morning, mix on, brilliant. <laughs> there's something to watch while I can't sleep. No, yeah. So, um, yeah. And that, this was back in the day where there was only four channels. So there you, was, didn't, you there really was. didn't have a lot of choice. You, yeah, no, yeah, it was, yes, definitely no choice at all. No. Uh, <laughs> and there wasn't the internet. And there wasn't even, I mean, that being funny, I, I used to make music on computers and it was an Atari that, could, that didn't connect to it. Like basically a, a, an old CRT screen yeah. um, in black and white. And you had to, before that, I used to work in a, in a company um, as a managerial, an office manager. And I used to have to write the programs for my Amstrad to make it work. Now you're showing that. your age. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I need to do a spreadsheet. I need to write a spreadsheet program. Oh, God. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, if I, if my, if the 10 year old me could see what I have to watch on a Saturday morning. So I used to watch like stuff like, Loving kicking and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And then, but if they could see me now, if that 10 year old could see me now watching like Saturday Kitchen, learning how to um, uh, like saute some beef or whatever, or like make a custard, they'd be like, What are you doing? Can you put children's television on? Do you know what's weird? Because like now you've got CBBC and all that, and mm. you know, so that's, but programs back then weren't really made for kids alone no, they were made no. for everybody yeah and, and the whole point of things like beat that was you know we'd get four disabled kids and four non-disabled kids and they'd never met before and we'd put them all together and they'd have to do something like i don't know uh, feed a load of footballers or uh, run a fashion show right. uh, go to france was one where we all had to go on a boat i've never been so sick in my life <laughs> um, and all different things like this and it was sort of yeah it was a kid's show but it was also kind of, I mean, that's part of my job was to make it less kids. Yeah. <laughs> so mm. I was mucking about and being like, all right, hey, adulty. And um, it, what was it? I was hired not to be a kids TV presenter, to, but to resemble their naughty, annoying older brother. <laughs> some doing what they want to do. And I was like, yeah, I can manage that. So, um, and it's weird. Like you said, swap shot. I mean, tis was. Yeah, <laughs> yes. like those things. They they were for kids, but let's face it. Anyone, I mean, now I'd kill to watch Tis One. Yeah, I know. <laughs> to, be me too. to be honest, I'd probably kill to present Tis One. <laughs> <laughs> it was my dream as a kid. One day I'm gonna. I'd love to do that. Cover people in gunge. Uh, mm. <laughs> imagine all the pop stars you could go. And uh, now, thanks for that interview. And there's only one thing left to do. Cover you in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be amazing. But, I mean, <laughs> that, that's. <laughs> Gunge is a very 90s thing, isn't it? it Gunge on TV shows, very, very 90s. Uh, you see, see, the problem is, you see, what it was, you see, is you're thinking about the gunge of the, the 90s, but I'm thinking more of the gunge of the 70s and the early 80s, uh, yeah. you see. And like that's where it came stripper. from. Because Tiz was, <laughs> Tiz was, was the first one to gunge anyone. Yeah. And I still have on VHS, because I'm that old, some footage of Mick Khan from 80s neuromagic band Japan <laughs> being gunged. And and he was sitting there all togged up, and I don't think he had any idea what the program was because you know that's not a Japan. They're <laughs> far too busy being esoteric and mm -hmm. And he just was all in this. I mean, he'd got a Paul Smith suit on that must have been worth a grand in the eighties. He looked oh, amazing. Yeah. And Sally James went da da da. Anyway, thank you very much for the interview. And then they pied him and then cut him down. Man, <laughs> you could see his face was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> no! What and are then you doing? They, <laughs> <laughs> apparently my, my wife um 
grew up born and grew bred in Camden. So mm. uh, as a little girl, her dad um, had two apprentices that were f- were in madness. Right, <laughs> madness Camden. Yeah. So Chris and, and another one, I can't remember. <laughs> she's always she's going to tell me off for not, but she tell me a billion times. <laughs> anyway, they used to come round and have like, Sunday lunch with uh, dad. And so like all the kids would be outside going, oh my God, madness are in Diane's house. Hello. Mm. Um, and they went on Tizworth and they were banned for enjoying it too much nah. because they just went for, you know you're not meant to be the band gunging everybody else <laughs> no, and apparently no. they got they were told you're never coming That's, back it sounds you, very madness really though, enjoyed it? it too much yeah, it was very like, on brand for yeah, madness. exactly yeah. <laughs> you just thought they'd have come up with baggy trousers and filled them with guns i mean oh, just God. begging to be done yeah and that's why I never got to work in during television <laughs> because they took one look at you and they went, "He'd enjoy this too much." I, do you know? Because I, I, I said when they they called me into an office and they said, "Mick, um, we've got this show we want you to present. We think you'd be brilliant." I went, "All right, it's a kids' TV show." And I went, "Are you sure?" Because I, you know, I'm all leather and punk rock, and I was singing in bands. And the show I did before was called Sex Talk, where I did an interview with a woman about. Uh, who had thalidomide who had a dildo on a stick <laughs> and I was like so hang wow. on a minute I, that's, I, that's, I mean I, it's I, a change I, of that's direction a, that's a real change of gear and they went oh you'll be brilliant you'll be brilliant and I went from there I, I was working on that show and then when that ended I went to work on um, a, a poetry show on BBC for under eights I mean at what? least I think that was for under tw- under 16s but yeah under eights and I was like something's up with Simon Simon's acting moony. Simon's acting strange. He's acting a little loony. <laughs> and that was the kind of poetry I was doing. And it was like, this is flipping weird. And then the, <laughs> Daily, then the Daily Mail found out that I go to rock clubs and wear leather trousers and did a big expose for me not being the right kind of person to present children's television. So I went to work at the news department. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I mean, I, I did used to work for the BBC uh, a long, long time ago. Yeah. And I had a colleague who would move from desk to desk, to, like program to program, once his contract was up. And he was known for just coming in the office one day, just sitting there and like making himself useful. So that they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can, we'll have you. We'll have you on the crew for a while. Um, which is, I mean, that's one way to do it, really. Just sitting yeah, in a I... spinning chair for about two hours, waiting for somebody to go, you put the kettle on, please. <laughs> Yeah, I'm here. I'm available. I'm, yeah, yeah that, that, I can promise you, Lucy, that was not me. Uh, I was, <laughs> no. I was known as being quite an annoying, troublesome TV presenter. Uh, well, because but, but this is before there was such thing as like reasonable adjustment, mm-hmm. and I was always being asked to do things, and you'd be like, "Yeah." And when I go home and I'm really hurt after doing this, you ain't going to give me a day's pay for sitting no. on the bed not being out of work, are you? So I was a little bit more. I'm not doing that than most. Although I was still known as the action cripple. <laughs> Because they'd go, Mick, will you just uh, go and fly a thing or jump off a thing or do that or go swimming or scuba dive or water ski? I mean, yeah, right. I mean, that's, <laughs> but, that is something I hadn't even thought of because back then, obviously, like like you say, there was no reasonable adjustment. So it must have been a bit like a wing and a prayer almost. Like, yeah, we'll do this and see how this turns out. It was funny because what they used to do was they'd say to me, they'd go, right, well, we'll pay you this much. And do you want to bring someone along right. that we'll pay so i used to like, all my mates used to love it because i'd get a day out with a film crew about 150 quid a break like loads of food yeah. getting fed yeah. on set. Yeah. i mean this is the olden days when uh, the camera 
person, the lead camera operator had an assistant. The sound yeah, person had everybody an assistant. Everybody had an assistant. The lighting, engine, the lighting team, there was about five of them and a van filled with millions of pounds of the lights. You know, the, the, you know, I mean, even the assistant had an assistant. Do you know what I mean? It was very yeah. much like that. So they, when a crew descended on your house, it was a bit like being invaded. Whereas now <laughs> they turn up with like a camera they bought on eBay and flipping, and it's like one person does it all. Yeah. Um. So so they they just used to go, yeah, yeah, give them 150 quid and they bring a mate. So it meant that if I couldn't get in somewhere, my mate would help me get in. Um. But by the by the time I worked at the BBC officially. They had a, a thing called an access department, which mm. was kind of meant to be the answer. But I'm sure if Lucy used them, yeah. it wasn't always that great. I remember once going away to a film shoot in America and the researcher brought her boyfriend, who was meant to be my support worker. And I never saw him. I was there for a week. I didn't even know he was there. He was just always getting, carrying stuff for her and going on like dates in New York while I'm just stuck in this nightmarish hotel because New York is not an accessible city. It wasn't anyway in the 90s. No. So, yeah, I remember one night having a meal of popcorn that someone bought outside my room because everyone had forgot to invite me to dinner. Oh, no, Meg! <laughs> oh, Meg! You sound like, like you need to be on an advert. Like. It's terrible. Oh, oh, you wouldn't believe that. Tell young people that. You tell young TV presenters that to me. <laughs> they won't believe you. Hi. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. You sort of, you sort of think, you think about media in the sort of terms we're living in now, really, don't you? Because it's in front of you. But you can't, you can't, I kind of forget about the people who've gone before who had mm. to do this with no, like, real, real support. Like like you say that the BBC access team, God love them, uh, make mountains out of molehills. And then when you actually got a problem, they're like, yeah, we don't we don't know how to help you with this. Um, yeah, I, I, I won't say too much, but <laughs> the, you, that is the best description. There you go. I mean, they don't exist anymore, do they? I thought they. No, gone, I don't think they do. But I can yeah, remember no, I my first back to access to work now, isn't it? Yeah, but... I can remember my first day at work, and I was really nervous because it was my first job out of uni. Mm. And uh, they, they, we'd already had a meeting before to assess like what I needed, and you know any like adjustments to the desk height and all that kind of thing. I know what's coming. And they rang, they rang the production office and said, um, "Is Lucy there?" And the executive producer of the program I was working on went, "Yeah, um, can you have a look at her wrists?" And he went, "What? Well, can you have a look at her wrists?" And he went, well, "What? Why?" And he goes, "Are they flat or are they raised?" Because um, we might have to, I've just realised we haven't raised the desk and she might be like, get a crick in her wrist. Like, I was like, no, I'm fine. She came down with about four people a week later and was like, yeah, we're going to sort this desk. Away. I was like, my wrists are fine. Leave my <laughs> wrists. My wrists are absolutely fine. I feel as though the the person whose legs don't work, like worrying about your wrists is the least of your fucking problems. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. to, to, to me, I, I got a job producing there for a short while <laughs> and I they came to assess my access needs for reasonable adjustment mm. and they ended up going to access to work I think with a report with a bill it was about 68,000 pounds and I was Christ. like and because what they said was that the the you know the parking at the, the donut so back then the parking for the plebs was down yeah. a hill yeah and then the celebrities could park in donut and there was four blue badge bays, but they were always filled because I never turn up for work early. So uh, it's against my religion. So, uh, <laughs> so and I said, well, you know, so they were going, right, well, you need a power chair to get you up the hill. You need a new car with a hoist to 
get the chair in the car and there was all this stuff oh then you need to adapt your kitchen because your kitchen isn't adapted for a power chair it's adapted for a manual what and i was just like all i need is a parking space yes top of the hill so i had to in the end i had to go to facilities to say no this is rubbish can i have a parking space yeah so it took them three months to get this parking space at which point by which point i've torn a muscle in my shoulder getting up the hill so i resigned but it does mean that I am one of the few people to have a gold BBC blue badge. Wow. It's, it's one of my prized possessions because <laughs> I never got to put it in my car window because by the time they gave me it, I was leaving. Because, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, that's classic sort of access to work and, and access sort of support stuff. Though. I, yeah. I, uh, when I did my undergrad, I applied for a disabled students allowance and they were quite happy to give it to me I didn't get any of my tech or uh, I got my support worker but none of my tech or anything arrived until two thirds of the way through my second year of my three year degree <laughs> Joe, I did an OU course and they were like right what do you want <laughs> and I was like uh, uh, they're the other way around I got a weird desk and another weird thing and a strange thing that I was like what the, what the hell do I need to do <laughs> and then they were like right do you want any support work and it was like it's the OU. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's mostly sat on my sofa, yeah. picking my nose, watching a video. So, uh, <laughs> and, and then, and then every now and again, when there was a requirement to go to a thing or do a day school or something, trying to get them to work out whether or not they could pay you, it's like, do you know what? Forget it. I'll just go on my own. I don't care. So, I, it's funny because when I was a young, you couldn't really go to university if you had any care needs at all, any support no. needs at all. They wouldn't have you. Mm. Um, and I, I remember applying for all the London universities. I wanted to study fashion, man. I was in the 80s. I wanted to be a new romantic <laughs> fashion designer. And they were like, yeah, no. <laughs> no, we just don't have any facilities for a wheelchair user. Just go away. <laughs> so then I was looking around and I thought, well, what, what can I do? So I found uh, two <laughs> universities accepted me, Keele and, and Durham. Now, I... Uh, I didn't bother in the end because they didn't do the course I wanted to do. I didn't realise until I worked at the BBC that you could do a degree in anything and that was all right. I thought you had to get a degree in what you wanted to that's do. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. When I went to university, that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget working with someone that got a degree in religious studies and I said, what's that got to do with <laughs> news? And they went, nothing. It's just a really easy degree to get. Really? <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So, um, Unless but, so, you want to be like a lawyer or a teacher or a social worker, Go to uni to do the thing that you find interesting. Don't go to uni to do the thing you want to work yeah, in. It's no. just or, it's not the worth the grands and grands of debt. That's just yeah, not it's like it. just just get a nice degree. Mm -hmm. So say what what's the what's the one the one that I think's easiest? Right, <laughs> I'll do that. Come out with a first. <laughs> Everyone will be impressed. I'll learn how to do a bit of research and all that'll be fine. But yeah, so so <laughs> I, I and I didn't go to Keel and I didn't go to Durham. And then many many years later, my wife um, studied physics. And so she went to Durham uh, and uh, said, it's on a hill. It's basically <laughs> university on a hill. So so why why would they say, oh, we'll, we'll have you? But it will mean that you'll have to just stay in your accommodation for three years. And we'll just have to throw lectures at I was going to say, how are they going to deliver though? It's not like they could do it online. Just and, gonna and shout went... down the hill at you. You've got a megaphone in a window, we'll be fine. Yeah, that's it. It's like, it's like well, ah, you see, back then it would have been a tin can. A yeah, 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 yeah. And one yeah. of the other students would have had to hold it while I held the other end of my ear. <laughs> I, I think I heard that. But then years later, I did a, a, um, a show at Keele University's 
um, end of year ball or something, and I was doing the <laughs> the circus of horrors. I was the compare, um, and I, I haven't got time to tell you the story. It is one of the funniest stories I tell, but it's so yeah, it's full of anarchy and disaster. But there was a lot of blood and a lot of failure, and I also have never seen so much debauchery ever in my life and i've seen some bloody good debauchery but this, <laughs> but this party like if you send your kids to keel about the end of the 90s then you paid to send your kids to sodom and gomorrah they, i i have never seen such things going on and i was just like you're wheeling about and you're like well i'm not going over there because that girl's having sex while being sick into a bucket oh that's well, i mean it. that's a Oh, it was, yeah, and 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 I was like, and they were like, oh yeah, this is where we do sports degrees, and I was like, ah, oh, right. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's a good one. Sports. I'm a sports degree. Oh, holder. now Brilliant. you see, you see. Well, I I live in Loughborough. Oh where right, yes. Yeah, so... <laughs> they, they take their sport really seriously. Isn't it like rugby in Loughborough? Rugby. It, it's it's i mean it's everything it's yeah. it's where we've got you know there's there's olympic pools and olympic it's i mean it's where it's where tiny gray thompson went um and, to uni. adam Peaty swims doesn't he there mm -hmm. um and libby clegg yes. is around here um you basically and can't move for paralympians you can't it's they take they take it serious. I mean, oh, yeah, what's yeah, the, what's yeah. the name? Well, Paula well, Radcliffe and stuff. They yeah, take it seriously it's around here. Science now. It's sports science mm. now, isn't it? So mm. it's not just like it's not PE. No, <laughs> mind you, you say that. So I moved up from my parents very um, inconsiderately decided to separate right in the years between uh, the first year of my GCSEs and the second year of my GCSEs. So I got dragged from North London just at the point where I was starting to go, living in London's really cool. I can go to club. <laughs> yeah, go yeah, this yeah. is exciting. <laughs> I got brought to fucking Loughborough. Yeah. <laughs> which is basically, in unless you're a university student, the population's like median age is 87. Well, it's a bit like, to be fair, it is a bit like Litchfield. Litchfield, God love it, is a little bit like Cocoon. Yeah. yeah. So when when we moved up from North London, I moved and I was doing your standard GCSEs and I was also doing French and history. But I moved to Loughborough and because Loughborough is so sports centric, I had to pick. I had to drop either French or history because I had to do a GCSE in PE theory. Oh, that is ridiculous. Stop it. <laughs> That is, that's just like, that's, that is so stupid. That is the most stupid thing I have ever heard in my life. So the the blind girl who they couldn't make accommodations <laughs> for me to actually play basketball or anything like that. When they had basketball, it was me and another student who was a wheel, power wheelchair user. And they got one of those little plastic kiddie basketball hoops. <laughs> and that was me and one other person. And I was like, but like, I it was, you know, I, I'm, I'm five foot five i should just walk up to it and put the ball in it like <laughs> your PE lessons that. that's were sponsored by fisher price <laughs> yeah so i could i had uh i i had inaccessible actual pe lessons and then i had to learn about muscle strain and uh, how to do a c drop in trampolining right I, i'm kind of mystified and very glad i'm old <laughs> <laughs> 
If it helps, I got I mean, E in PE. Yeah, PE when I was at school. <laughs> PE when I was at school was just what you did for about three or four hours a week so that you were the not going to be beat. So, well, no, so the, because the, the PE teachers were evil bastards. One of my PE teachers tried to get off with me. It was like, <laughs> what the hell? Uh, so, yes, this, I come from a very different era. You know, you've got, you've got to remember when I was at school, Gary Glitter was in the chart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Savile was on television. It's a weird time. So, yeah, so that was an interesting moment where he, re- he, said he picked me up from the bus stop. And then when we got into school, he reached over and tried to kiss me. Oh, that, no, no. Hang on a minute. Can I just point out? I've got taste. You've got did, hairy back, mate. Did you get? If I was this way, in, if I was this way inclined, you wouldn't be it. Did you so, get your <laughs> and hit him in the ghoulies? <laughs> so, ironically, though, my brother actually later on did actually beat him up. There you go. Else. But we, we, were, it was a different punk, you see. It <laughs> happened, and so school was a was a very different place because, of course, we'd gone from being very good children to suddenly being almost unmanageable. <laughs> Anarchy in the UK. It yeah. was a bit. It was anarchy in the classroom in Luton. That's what it was. <laughs> so, uh, yes, because you can all talk. Oh, I've had, it, I've had it tough. I've been Loughborough. Oh, look at me. <laughs> Get out of it. I grew up in Luton, mate. You see, we had it tough. And my, my <laughs> physical education consisted of uh, playing uh, boccia or boccia. Um, just, and, and, and also, I can't throw very well. My aim is off. Like, because... So they get, what they did was they went down the local builders merchant, cut a drain pipe in half, and went in and used that. And I just rolled it down half a drain pipe. Have you, have you ever been bowling? Yes. Where they get one of them? I, I make... And you're like, I, what? What is this? Can, what? Yeah. What? So it's so for you, toddlers, you, isn't it? It's for very you, small children. So what the fuck? And disabled. <laughs> Yeah no. Yeah no. I, but I, because well, it's because um, bowling balls are too heavy for me to lift because my arms are weak. I, uh, I go. Can you put that on the? Can you put that on the the ramp, please? Could you just put that on there for me? Yeah. Can you Fire. just do that for Yay! me? And can you push it? <laughs> can I watch it? So Mick, you said that after you uh, sort of left the world of television presenting, you went into yes. you trained yes. as a yes. access consultant. Is that right? Yeah, access, that, yeah, 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 yeah. But yes. And was that something that you did because you were interested in it, or was it because you were like, I've got right, nothing else I, to do? I, because I used to do a lot of clubbing, mm. uh, and clubs back then were not very accessible at all. Um, uh, <laughs> I used to get asked because uh, I was asked basically to help Ministry of Sound when it opened, right, to be accessible so you know they've done quite a bit but it, they've made a few mistakes so the uh, toilet doors were they've got an accessible loo in both the men's and the women's but they the doors were wrong so we got that changed um we created a, a zone where the lights didn't go because i had a friend that was a real raver but was also light sensitive epileptic <laughs> so it's like whoa bad so she so we, i basically designed her corner in the club and we did all different things and we leveled things and we made the bar so it was easy to get to and we trained the staff and all this and then i did the camden palace and i did so um and i was doing all this stuff and then i got asked to join what used to be called the london access forum and it was a thing run by the mayor when it was ken livingstone to to get disabled people to sort of they go look we're thinking of building this thing what do you think and then we'd go oh that's not accessible that needs changing mm. and all stuff like that and there was all these kind of like experts and I was sort of expert in my field of like kind of entertainment and stuff like that. 
But then um, Ken Livingstone said, uh, we think there's not enough, because back then especially, the entire industry of consultants were filled with non-disabled people yeah. telling everyone what we wanted. Yeah. And Ken thought this was bad. So uh, he, he created a fund and paid for us all to go and study on this big, long course. And the idea was that we'd, all the members of the Access Forum were trained up to, to a level that meant we could talk to architects mm -hmm. on a level playing field. Mm -hmm. And we could go professional if we want, or we could remain voluntary as part of the forum. And being a money-grabbing type, <laughs> when I heard how much they got paid, I thought, oh, I think I'll become a consultant. So I did. And I, um, you know, I, it's funny, I, I, I go around the country and I find things that I worked on and kind of go, oh, I completely forgot I did that. I was walking through um, Catford recently with a friend of mine. <laughs> and I suddenly went, oh, heck. <laughs> I helped design that school. Really? <laughs> I've completely wow. forgotten. And there's a there's a huge uh, office development um just off Tottenham Court Road. Um my wife and I were just wandering about during lockdown and I was like, Oh, I I, I worked on this project. <laughs> and then I was walking around going, and I did that and I designed that and I and it was like this is really weird because I've completely forgotten because I've done so much. Yeah. You need so to I start doing... campaigning to call them the Mick Scarlet building. Yeah, I do. I I you know if anyone's seen Futurama when Bender builds a giant statue of himself and remember me. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what I want. I want that's that's that's, that's my final project. Uh, so then I worked on the Paralympics and um the the senior boss of that um the late margaret hickey she was fantastic and you never crossed margaret she was brilliant she um went to work at network rail mm -hmm. and said to me well we're about to start training all of our staff you're good at talking to people you know about what we're going to tell them you know do you want to come and help us train our staff so i said yeah all right so i then became an equality trainer <laughs> bizarrely um and that's i do a lot more of that now because i found that when I first started doing access consultancy, people really listened, mm. but then they started working out, hang on a minute, we don't really need to do all this because no one's going to be out of sewers. <laughs> and so then gradually the reports you do got less and less noticed yeah. until you were like, and then all you got really was you were hired really so they could say they'd hired you. So you, you <laughs> and I was like, like I'm not box. having, yeah. yeah, I'm not having that. I'm not having my name. I've, you know, there's a couple of projects that have been built, especially in Camden that I was the access advisor on and uh, they wouldn't pay me as a consultant because my money was too much. Uh -huh. so Lessen my name. Yeah. Um, but uh, that I advised on, but then they didn't follow anything what I said. Mm. And it's like, well, you know, my name's on that, but they're not, you know, oh, well, we don't need to do that because it's too expensive and all that would be difficult. And let's change that and let's move that over there. And it's like, and I won't even mention the fact that, you know, most councils don't take any notice of anything about access when yeah. they're in planning. So, so, you know, it's a real soul-destroying job. So I thought, well, if I can't get them to understand, I'll, I'll teach. So if you know what it is, if you can't do it, teach. Yeah. Uh, so I, <laughs> I got into training and then I got into lecturing. So now I lecture the next generation of, of um, uh, architects and interior designers, whether commercial or industrial, um, about getting things to be accessible. Mm -hmm. So, and, and yeah, that's, I mean, that's quite fun. It, it's quite shocking, some of the things that you hear people say and you're like, you really think that but um uh luckily i have the ability to uh bring people on board uh the other day i did a um a kind of group discussion around low traffic neighborhoods mm -hmm. and how to make london a car-free city by 2030 
<laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're right. Um, and lots of people were very much in favor of all this. And I was trying to say, you know, why it might negatively impact on disabled people. Mm. And I managed to get everyone to agree with me by the end. I thought, well, that's a skill that I didn't know I had. I mean, that, that's amazing. Making cyclists you know... agree with someone that likes cars. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find, Mick, that you occasionally get some pushback to what you're saying? Because obviously you... Oh, God, you, yeah. No, I mean, right, the, do, they, the, do they feel like they need to argue the, the toss with you just because they can? Like, <laughs> no, you're you wrong. Get, and you're thinking, no, I'm not wrong because I'm the one who's experienced well, depending it. depending on what you're talking about mm. depends on how they argue. So one of the big ones is if you say to someone, let's make this building super duper accessible, what tends to happen is, oh it's going to cost a lot of money yeah. and I don't know no, no, we, we get many of your types and all this kind of we don't mm -hmm. get many of your lot around here kind of thing mm -hmm. that's a normal one and and what's weird is you'd expect it from a little project but when you're talking about you know massive huge redevelopments mm -hmm. and they're still going oh, it's a bit expensive you think well <laughs> you're spending fortunes on you know paintings for the mm. lobby why haven't you got an extra toilet but having said that i'm working on a project at the minute in sheffield and they're amazing really? it's gonna there's, there's a project they're putting in four changing places toilets two for the public and two for staff amazing in this, in this office development wow right, that's gonna have a a, a, a like a public plaza yeah. where there's going to be coffee and restaurants and people can hang out there's there's multiple you know normal accessible toilets and there's all these changing places toilets they're doing all the buildings so they've all got like using color as a way of finding your way around there's all stuff that that's part of my job that's stuff that's really subtle mm -hmm. because you know m most people go oh well access is just wheelchair users isn't it and, yeah. and visually impaired people and it's like no there's all there's loads of other people that need access requirements that you can do and do it in a creative way that makes it really pretty. And they're, they're really on board. So I'm feeling a little more happy around that career at the moment because of the fact that I've met a load of people that are like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it the yeah. best. Let's make it brilliant. Yeah. But normally they don't do that. When you're talking about systemic stuff, then kind of you get people kind of go, but that's not how we do it. And if we do it for them, don't we have to do it for everybody? And it's like, no, because that's not what reasonable adjustment means. No. It's not, it's not, um, you know, or if you can work from home, then everyone has to work from home. Great, brilliant. If that's your policy, brilliant. But I have a legal requirement to ask to work from home if I have to. Whereas someone else that doesn't have that requirement, it would be a favor, it would be a perk. And it's it's this idea that you know that, that you get from line managers normally going, but but if we give you that thing, then everyone will want it. It's like, no, yeah. it's leveling the playing field up. Yeah, it's not giving me presents. No, no, it's <laughs> not. not it's not a better. nice thing to do where they've got they've got made like a big fuss of you. At like, yeah, it's like oh, you've got a special desk that goes up and down. Everyone will want a special desk that goes up and down. And it's like, yeah, but that's because everyone can just get into their normal yeah, desk yeah. and I can't. It's not, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, that was the argument around the parking space Yeah, was at the BBC was the fact that that's where all the celebrities park. <laughs> and I was like, well, can't they just have one less and I can have a blue badge <laughs> play? And it took me three months to negotiate that that was something that would happen. Um, and it only happened because we created a new special VIP parking space right outside the stage door oh, okay. and so everyone then started fighting over who got that space rather than the so way space, you're i don't want space. that crappy blue badge space not that i want the vip <laughs> i want the vip that's roped off my car's covered over so basically it was like getting a dog that are fighting over a bone and then getting a much bigger bone and going 
Go on. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, you, you always get it and you get people that don't understand it and you get people that don't agree with it. I mean, this whole kind of, you know, woke thing, you know, I go in and say, you know, this is why you use a certain term. And they're like, oh, I don't agree. I don't think there's anything wrong with handicapped. It's like, I, mean, you don't, I don't care what you think. I'm telling you, one, what I think, and I'm the teacher. But two, I'm telling you what your company has told me to, to tell, tell you. you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you might, and I'll tell you this now, if you call someone outside handicapped, <laughs> if you go up to someone that you're serving and go, hello, little handicapped person, they will really kick <laughs> off. Because they, they will bite, like yes. <laughs> yes so, so the fact that you don't see why it matters doesn't matter. That's the thing that I'm always saying to people is that like, I, I work with, um, I work with people sometimes who have, uh, who have issues with their mental health or yep. uh, cognitive differences that that mean yep. sometimes that their version of reality is different from our version of reality. So, uh, and and the work that we do is that we are there to support and represent a person to voice their thoughts and feelings about their version of reality. So, if as far as they are concerned, the sky is pink. Our job is to sit there and say, no, I'm sorry, but Mary says the sky's pink and you have to listen to her when she says that. That's that's yeah. her. That's that's the way things are for her. And if we're talking about doing an assessment of what Mary's needs are, what Mary's wishes and feelings are about care planning or whatever, then you have to pay attention to Mary's uh, opinion yeah, yeah. of the fact that the sky is pink. Even, Do you know what I love? Exactly. Does it make does it make any difference to you? Exactly. If the sky, if you think, if you look out and go, what a lovely blue sky, and Mary turns to you and goes, but it's pink. Yeah. And you go, okay, so does it hurt me that you think it's pink? No, no not really. No. Uh, so great. No. You you have your you love the pink sky, I love the blue sky. It's a beautiful sky. Exactly. Right? And what's really, I mean, I always love the fact that the, the Greeks uh, didn't have a word for blue. <laughs> they used to call the sky golden. It was different colours of gold because the sun huh. shone on oh, the sky. Yeah. And so, it just, so, so it's, it's, this is the thing is that it's all relative. If we suddenly started calling the sky pink, then she's right. <laughs> well, and it's, it's and, and because, you know, when you're talking about people's sort of identification of themselves Ooh. and their community yep. Yep. like yep. it's none of our fucking business if it may <laughs> if it doesn't if it doesn't impact you like yeah. why does it why does it matter if you if if somebody that i have spent my whole life being under the impression that that person was a male if they come up to me and say actually i'm a woman what fucking difference does it make to me? No. But it's, it's never, not I've, my body. Never I, I've never understood any of this. And it's, it's, it's why training can be so weird. Because you, you sit there and you're, you're, you're telling them this stuff. Yeah. And it's like, and, and you get all these kind of, some people get it. Some people yeah. are trying to go, well, I don't get it, but I'll do it. And then you get the people that just argue. And you're like, it doesn't matter. Oh, it's all woke political correctness. And you're like, well, political correctness just means being nice to people. Yes. And woke just means not being asleep. Yes. Right? So so basically, you've just said, well, I prefer my life to be completely shit. I don't care about anyone. And I don't ever want to learn anything or think about anything new. I'm just kind of close my eyes to it and put my fingers in my ears. And la, yeah. la, 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 la. I'm not... But it's like when people say to me, like, or people have often in the past referred to me as, uh, a person with a disability, and I'll go. Uh, uh, well, actually, 
I use the term disabled person because mm. there is no hiding away from this wheelchair. Do you know what I mean? You can't, it's, I haven't got a cloak of invisibility. Let's just call it what it is and crack on, shall we? And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. But I see the person before the disability and I'm like, just shut up and get on. See, I and now here. Hello, welcome to mixed training. <laughs> uh, see, I subscribe to the social model of disability yeah. that says that disability is a state that is put upon people who are different, mm -hmm. right? Because they do not conform to the normal way of thinking or being. So you're a wheelchair user. Yeah. In a world where we were all wheelchair users, mm -hmm. walking would be the disability. Right, would be the impairment, yeah. be the thing that would make so all of our world would have much lower ceilings, there'd be no stairs, right? There'd be a very it would be a very different planet. Anyone that's ever watched the kids' TV show Charlton and the Wheelies will see this. It is the embodiment mm. of what I teach, right? Because basically everyone in that is on wheels. Right. And then suddenly a dragon turns up who walks, they can't get in anywhere. That sounds easy, right? to be fair. <laughs> so <laughs> that's this is the kind of stuff I grew up in the 70s, which is why I really got the social model. But so 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 basically if you're with a disability then that means it's about you mm. whereas i believe that my lack of being able to do things is placed upon me i don't think not walking or seeing or something is something that stops you doing stuff no. it only stops you doing stuff the way people who do the thing that way does so you know if i can't walk and you can then you think I'm disabled because I can't walk. Well, I think you're disabled because you do. Yeah. Because, you know, you, if I lived in a world like that idea, that if, I, if the world was designed for me, you'd be disabled. So it's, it, it, and, and, and it, so it's visual, uh, visual impairment is a perfect example, right? You know, we live in a world where everything's visual, but if we took away all that stuff, if we all went and lived in a cave, for example, suddenly, all the sight would be unimportant and you'd be getting around using different methods. It's um, something somebody on one of the um, like blind person groups that I'm on, on, you know, where they put us all in a corner and we're allowed to talk yeah. about not being able to see. <laughs> yeah. Somebody said something on there the other day that sort of made me go, of course, like they pointed out that nobody can see everything. Like humans cannot see 365 degrees. It would I, be really useful, though, if we could, to be fair. <laughs> I, but but it it's that kind of... So actually, like, when you've got limited vision, like, you're not... You, you could never see everything. So there's no world. The world that we live in is not a world that exists where people... It's been built for people who can see everything. It's been built mm -hmm. for people who have got the sort of standard, specific, usual, gen, whatever... Yeah. Yeah level of vision yeah the average yeah. level of vision and actually the 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 thing to sort of the way to think about it is to go well what you know if we were to try and level the playing field make things accessible it's thinking about the other ways that people see yeah and that's, exactly that's what yeah. i teach i basically teach people to think what, what what other ways are there of doing things because if you build this inclusive world you have a system where you have uh, stuff for people that see, mm -hmm. and then you design another way of doing it for people that can't, and then you have another way of doing it for people that can hear, and another way that people can't, and then you have a you know stairs and a lift and, and a ramp and stairs, and and it, and, it, and once you start thinking like that, you suddenly realise well actually that really benefits Everybody. people who you know have a, have an impairment that makes them blind or paralysed or deaf or whatever, but then there's also the people that get old 
There are people that, like my next door neighbour, <laughs> not, not anymore he doesn't, but he used to go tombstoning, so jumping off cliffs into water. Okay. And one day he jumped off into a cliff and there wasn't as much water below him as he thought. And he broke, Uh-oh. and his legs kind of went. Right? So he, he spent, yeah, he spent about three years in a wheelchair, right, getting back mm. to walking. And all he went was, oh my God, it's awful, blah, blah. And then eventually he got walking and now he's riding his bike again and showing off with his fully working legs. And I Don't worry, thought, Mick. It'll well, be a matter him, of time before he throws himself or something I know, else. I know. Well, no, his wife won't let him. You have no idea the trouble that this bloke got into with his wife. Oh, <laughs> 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 yeah, because, you know, it's not like he had an accident or something. He jumped off a yeah. cliff. Yeah, it's like, he's, not, he's not like somebody, he lost his balance and fell in, is it? Like, he yeah, decided, I mean, I'm going to jump off that. He's a builder, so there was many ways he could have done it at work and got away exactly, with it. Instead, yeah. he jumped. To, he went, ha ha, wee, splat, yeah. bugger. So it's his own fault. But, but <laughs> you know, that's the thing is, it's building a world that means that you can change. You can get. I mean, for example, a world that works for like Lucy and me works for you if you've got kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because an accessible world for us means you can push kids yep. around. Little kids don't have to walk so far; they can walk up a ramp. It's easier than walking yep. up steps, you know. And it's that's the thing, and that's what I teach, and that's what I say to people: Look, if we can, cause we can do this. We can build an inclusive world that means that the next generation of disabled kids, whatever their you know impairment or disability, whichever word you want to choose, is that you they can grow up with exactly the same. Yeah experience and abilities and chance to fulfill their potential as anyone else mm. and you know like you know i i hear you going to university and i think that's wonderful because i couldn't but still you face barriers that you want to get rid of and eventually we can do this and i think that's and so then when people go oh i don't know it's in pc and a bit woke i'm like you twat <laughs> you know don't don't you know it's gonna happen to you one day yeah and in my world you'll get old or you'll have an accident or an illness and there'll be no big deal in the world that I would have designed. We would have not had anywhere near as much hassle around COVID as we did because the world would be designed so that everyone can work from home instantly Mm -hmm. that everyone, you know, that, that people can have this sudden change in the way things happen without it being such a massive spasm for society, because that's what inclusion is. It's not thinking this is how we do it. And any other way is wrong. It's thinking how many ways can we do something so that the end result is what we want. And I think that's, you know, kind of, and there you go. And what I love is both Alice and myself have switched into work <laughs> during this bit of the radio. It's great. Well, when you see the juxtaposition <laughs> situations around that, doesn't include and Under the, and the Equality Act. <laughs> Ah, protected characteristics. <laughs> I actually had to use that phrase not four hours ago to talk really? about protected characteristics. Yes, I did. I um, I always, I always say, Mick, that you know, disability will happen to everybody someday to a certain extent. And Alice mm. always says that I sound like a mafia boss. Because it's like, I'm going to be after you. So what what Lucy says is disability could happen to anyone at any time, which I think makes her sound like a mafia boss. What I say is the the thing is with the aging population is your options are either you get old and become disabled or you're dead. Yes, <laughs> which of course is the ultimate disability. And I think, I think we should embrace the dead because if we do that, then we are the biggest population in any society, and yeah. we should be digging everybody up and helping them to live the first <laughs> life that they now can lead now as that, a dead person. That is political correctness gone wrong. <laughs> I, see, I'm a big fan of getting anyone to join. I, the amount of people I meet, and they go, "So is this a 
am I disabled? And I'm like, yeah, I think you are. And they're like, ooh. Join and then, the club. Every time, I do a, every time I do any trading, I'm like, yeah, come on, join, join. <laughs> come up. over Be to the dark us. side. One of us. One of us, yeah. It's like, you know all the hoo-ha about the James Bond, or oh, well, they always have disabled people and, you know, people that are deformed and oh, facial scars. Oh, you've got to be baddie. I've always wanted to be a Bond villain. But what I wanted to be is sort of, James, for some reason, all the beautiful actors and models are disappearing. You must go and look into it. Ah, it appears that they've all been taken to an island somewhere. <laughs> and then he arrives on the island and gets out of his little scuba machine and he comes up and then suddenly he notices that all the models now have got scars or they've got a leg missing yeah. or they're in a wheelchair and it's like what's going on and then finally he finds Scarlett <laughs> <laughs> with, his, with his beautiful high kicking karate expert team of beautiful women around him who are also all obviously disabled in some way and the answer is to maim the world yes Mr Bond <laughs> my plan is to create the perfect race by making everyone imperfect <laughs> and then I'll strap him to a table and he'll go what you're going to kill me and I'll go no Mr Bond I'm going to paralyse you and then just stick something in his spine and go there you go and I didn't tell you my plan and I didn't fuck it up and now you're one of us because I'm not a twat <laughs> Thank you. And from then on, James Bond is in a wheelchair and that's your answer. I do think that that is, that is a, a good standalone movie. Never mind a James Bond film. Oh, you fair. see, I'm now just trying to think of what Lucy's Bond girl name would be. Ooh. Yeah, isn't Ooh. it like a, like a, like a, isn't it like... What, not Lucy Lastic? <laughs> I was going to say that. I know that's been, I know that. As soon as I said that, I thought that's the kind of bloody joke I bet you've had your whole... Yeah. Yeah. Like I've always had metal Mickey. Or Lucy Go- right. Lucy Goosey is another one. Oh god, yeah, no, I wouldn't have done that. has still got a sexy. That's got a sort of Lucy Goosey. <laughs> there's got to be. There's got to be some kind of terrible wheelchair-related pun that sounds a little bit like a sex position. I. Uh... Well, of course, there is really sexy. <laughs> Uh, of course, we've all had that. That was the first article I ever had published about me in News of the World. Mick uh, Scarlet is Mick. really sexy. New TV presenter is really sexy. And it was all about how sexy and wonderful someone to watch out for because he's such a cutie. And then the next article I had in the newspaper was, he's the wrong guy for, new, for BBC for kids television because really? he wears leather trousers. And the article before was, Mick Scarlett's very sexy because he wears leather trousers. And I was like, yeah, I can't win. The media's weird. Yeah, the media is weird, to be fair. It is, especially about disabled people that are sexy. With the media that we've sort of from talking to Mick and some of the other people we've had on is that it's not just what they show disabled people, but like behind the scenes as well. Yeah. It's just as um, restrictive and yeah, yeah exclusive, yeah. but... Yeah, it's one of the things. What's sad is because when I used to work at the Beeb and I went to news, I worked on worked as part of the communities programs unit, and they had a disability programs unit that was specifically disabled people making shows about disability. So it would be we had a magazine show called From the Edge, we had a a documentary series that were called Over the Edge, and then we also advised all the news and everybody on what to do and how to cover it. And there was a big manual called the Producer's Guide to Disability that would say things like camera angles, language to use, stories and how to make an empowering story. And we'd spent years on this and it was like a Bible of how to get it right. And you started to see the change. So rather than go, you know, brave Mm -hmm. Lucy, it would be Lucy has achieved this thing. And it was just that different in language. It was great. And then they disbanded the department. And then I went back about five years later and the the, the whole document had gone. (laughs) 
and then you start seeing, you know, people with disabilities, brave, inspirational, tragic, yeah. try, you know, all that kind of come back. And it's like, well, this is the problem because, you know, if you don't remember your own history and you don't actually push forward, this is why the media drives me out the wall. Because, you know, yeah, there was I, you know, 1989 on a primetime television show on ITV. That's my first show, you know, presenting opposite people like Toya Wilcox mm. and, you know, famous people. I was like, oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> right? You shouldn't be in 2021 and still think, right, how many disabled people are there on prime time? No. Mm, exactly. And it, and this is and what they've done is they've allowed the public to forget the history because they don't want to remind them. Um, both Andrew Miller and myself went to Channel 4 to like last year because it was the 30th year of both of our series starting. And we said, well, why don't we... Like, why don't you do a season or just even a documentary about the fact that these shows were groundbreaking and show bits of it. And then you can follow us now and it'd be really fun. And, and they were like, oh, we don't we don't do anything about the past. We don't want to talk about the past. And then all of a sudden they had a whole season of shows that they used to have mm. on. And it was like, what you mean is you don't want to admit that the Paralympics were not the beginning of well, disability I, television in this country 2012 is not the day it started no that's the thing isn't it and it started with well they they want you to be, they want you to think that you know it started with the superhuman movement which yeah. um again is another term that i yeah, you know you up the ball yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because she's like, sitting in a pub drinking a pipe she's a superhuman <laughs> like <laughs> the, stupid, the stupid thing is the paralympians i mean as we know from the conversation about loughborough uh, you know it's not it's not mucking about here there's, there's proper there's proper effort yeah. involved you know they don't just sit on the sofa scratching their ass and go i think i'll go and win a gold gold <laughs> you know <laughs> it's your turn this week have a gold um you know it, it's proper job it, it's proper sport and yet, by saying they're superhuman, what you're actually saying is, is well, that, that's natural, then, isn't it? There's no effort because that's what superhumans uh, yeah. are. Yeah, I, th I think I think Paralympians are as superhhuman as Olympians. Yes, like, but, but both of them are not superhuman. No, both exactly. of them are. It's like if but, you, it's like if you if you learn to play piano, if you spend hours every day exactly. playing piano, you will be a brilliant yeah. pianist. But you're not superhuman no. in that. You've actually put the effort in. There will always be... I mean, like Usain Bolt. I love it. People always go, oh, Usain Bolt, he's, he's amazing. He's about six foot nine <laughs> tall. His legs are longer than most people. Exactly. Are. That's why he can when run he fast, runs, because he's got long it's, legs. It's like, you know, when, whenever you watch him in a race, you think, well, it's kind of unfair, really, isn't it? Because <laughs> let's face it, everybody else's stride is about half a metre shorter than yours. So five steps, you've gone two metres. He's been practising and running. As you say, he's not been sitting on his ass watching daytime TV and no. eating chips like he's you yeah, know but, even but even that, that, if like with with the height that he is he could do, like he, without putting the work in he'd just yeah. waddle along with everybody else <laughs> just, just with longer strides yeah. his waddle would exactly. be longer <laughs> and he's and he's racing for the cake <laughs> and, and yet again but he's yet out again, of breath hussein has won the cake because of his legs dried however of course the the weight that he's gained has now meant his legs are yes. buckled he's, he's got to have a sit down <laughs> I can always remember they they inter somebody interviewed Usain Bolt after he'd won a race. I can't remember. I think it might have been in twenty twelve, and they said to him, "What were you thinking about as you crossed the finish line?" And he said, "Whether or not I want to order some chicken McNuggets after this race." 
And I was like, and he did that because his manager had said, by the way, we're really looking for a new McDonald's sponsorship. Exactly. So when you finished, yeah. So uh, when I finished, I thought, mm. yeah, he's obviously like, I've got this under control. Like, because he's left them yeah. for dust. I might as well start thinking about yeah. what I want for my tea, to be fair. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just thought it was quite funny. I've, I've, I've had interviews like that when I'm talking to someone and suddenly my mind's like, what am I going to make? Yeah. <laughs> and then they're talking, normally politicians, we won't go into no. that. And you're like, oh, could you just answer the question? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that I, there, there is a, we got to get control of it. And that's why we need people like Lucy. And like, we think, I think that this is why things like this are so important because we have sidestepped the mainstream media and said, right. And I don't like using the mainstream media term because it sounds like the kind of thing Farage would say, but it's sort of, you know, that, that we, that the, the things that we've never let us on board, we're now going, oh, I mean, Sodja, we'll do it some mm -hmm. other way. And um, what will I think what will eventually happen is that they'll come on board and go, oh, we've missed out on this. You know, we'll get you on radio. They'll realise that they can make some fucking money yeah. off of us. That's, that's yeah, yeah, what that's matters it. to most people. And if all else fails, we'll we'll promote. I mean, there's when I do Disability Horizons TV yeah. that is still looking for talent. So there you go, girls. Maybe Ooh. go to them and say, shall we do a video show on the opposite Sunday to Mick and all his old farts do is the men's we chat, can do a young right? ladies that because we're yeah. <laughs> ladies, ladies, ladies. and you can come on our show it's like your version of loser women we're, we're like old men and then we can all do that swapping where you come in and i'll come on and talk about hair dye don't you, you dare start calling me janet street porter <laughs> i used to work for there Janet. anyway so there you go <laughs> uh, yes yeah go no. anyway so but i think that yeah that's what we're doing and i think that's uh, to me, that's what's happening all over the place. I mean, he says getting his plug in, although it's a bit late because this program goes out after it. I'm working on a show at the Barbican at the minute that is all disabled creatives. It's, so it's it's totally disabled led. Uh, Jamie Hale, the fantastic poet and actor, writer, producer, director, is wonderful. They're wonderful, and they they are um, creating the show. They they put it together, and um, we've got this huge load of disabled talent. Um, actors, singers, artists, poets. It's going to be amazing. Well, too late, folks. It's already happened. <laughs> but it was amazing. Um, and it is available online, I think. Maybe you might catch it just on the Barbican website and it will be available elsewhere later. Um, but it's... We, we're taking this thing. I mean, I'm producing it and we're taking it... You know, we can't get, like, the chance to show what we can do, nor, you know, through most routes so what the barbican have done is they said to jamie put on this showcase show what's out there and we'll give you this great theater mm. space in a famous theater to show it so there are some people going yeah let's promote this but still it's it's very disabled led and i think that's the only way to do it because it means we get the language right we understand access you know there's this wonderful new thing called an access rider yeah you know, like, I've like rock bands have yeah, riders yeah. or access rider and it means you go everywhere and you've just got your access requirements written out you plonk it on the desk and go there you go that's what i want and that's what people have to give you and it's like brill and then you can talk how you do it but that and it's all stuff like this that's coming on creative access so that you know um subtitles audio description um all that stuff is embedded it's not a bolt-on on a wednesday night matinee it's every single performance has this in you know um i've got friends that are starting at um, some really major theater companies that are disabled that are going to be doing this that are going to say well don't do like a special relaxed performance on a wednesday do make it all more relaxed 
make it all accessible and make it so that the access is part of the mm-hmm. show. Yeah. Um, and then that way, it's not a big deal. That way you're not... Ooh, I, well, think, I think as well, non-disabled people, if, if like theatre companies started saying all of our performances are relaxed or more at least more relaxed you know what i mean yeah. i think non-disabled people to start off with would be like oh this oh this is different i don't think i like it but they would soon get used to it it's like anything you get used to anything don't you really we all got used to yeah. working from home and not we did. cutting our exactly. hair so <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh well, i was all right on that account because i've always cut my there own you hair go. Uh, as i've always i've always seemed to bring out the worst in hairdressers. <laughs> um i uh have I once had just before I started TV, I got my first TV gig and I went to a hairdresser and I said, I'm doing TV on Monday. And they started cutting my hair and I said, What have you done? Because they cut it too short. And instead of cutting and finishing it, they went, burst into tears and yeah. ran out. Uh, I mean, <laughs> oh so I then had to go to luckily next door to the hairdressers was a hairdresser's like um, equipment right. shop. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I bought a set of clippers, some hairdressing scissors, and some peroxide and went home and did all of myself. See? And, I, and every time, every now and again, I go, I've got some money now. I might go to a hairdresser's. And every time I come out looking like a clown or someone's <laughs> had a go at it with a lawnmower or something. I remember going to one once and he thinned, my hair's not thick, and he thinned it with this yeah. razor thing. And I came out looking like someone had actually, had like rats had eaten my hair. It was all gone. <laughs> so I had to shave it all off. And it was like, Jesus. No. So, yeah. So, so, and the other thing I like about that is when you cut your own hair, if it's crap, it didn't cost you. 50 well, no, there, quid. Is, there is this, isn't there? There is this. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You're like, hey, it's shit. My, <laughs> my only caveat to that is that I definitely cut my own hair during lockdown, and it's perhaps not the best idea for the girl who can't see no. straight. No, I was going to I was, I was. I was going to say there are some people I would say would be exempt from the home cutting thing, but I'd have just gone with the growth thing and just gone really. Did you? Did you get Dave to help you, Alice? No, no, well, I, I love my husband very much, but he's not known for having a thick, luxurious head of hair. And I sort of felt as though I'd trust my myself to give myself a wonky cut more than I trust him to not just rage cut all my hair off and be like, now you know what it's like. (laughs) We do, we do, as as every, I'm sure you know, Mick, as every happily married couple does, we do occasionally play that game where you go, would you still love me if? And so I do oh, sometimes right. go, would you still love me if I was bald? And he's sort of... <laughs> um, I see, I can't, I can't um... be bald because I've got, I, where I've fallen out of my wheelchair and injured myself, I've got scars on my head, lumps on my head, and basically I have an egg-shaped head anyway, so I would just look weird. mostly that game deteriorates into um me threatening to leave him take the dogs and leave him with the cat (laughs) and he's he's like those dogs are your guide dogs yeah yeah but um but he definitely i'm gonna leave i'm gonna take the dog Fine. <laughs> well, uh, you, yes, I think that's probably a good idea. I'm sure it's yours. <laughs> that would be a kind of bastard. Wouldn't it? We're splitting up. Well, I'm keeping the dog, but it's my guide dog. I don't care. I mean, we've we've had um, I've had Lola for 
nine years and I've had Dora for coming up to a couple of months and uh, I'm pretty sure they both prefer him over me anyway so oh, no. I've always said that what, what uh, visually impaired people need is guidelines because <laughs> I think that would I, I think that would recreate the yeah, power but system they, in, they, in society you at a house at home wouldn't you really <laughs> Yeah, but that's all right because I just eat people It'd be who didn't like. Tiger came to tea all over again, like real life. Tiger came to tea. I was I was part of the team that that um got the first guide horse. I was going to say okay to go on TFL. Really, and it was great because uh, they were going. Oh, can we do it? And it's like, yeah, no, you legally have to do it. Oh, okay, well, fine. So then, of course, they got the little pony and got him on the, the trains and everything. And it was just like this is the coolest yeah. thing ever. And then I was just thinking, kind of thinking, what can we do? <laughs> You know, and that's where the guide lion came up. Because I just think, you know, you, you get all these people kind of not letting people in the cars because you've got a dog. <laughs> like, look, mate, I'm coming in your yeah. taxi or I'm letting yeah. them off the lead. It's up to you. But you, aren't they so dangerous? The they're more dangerous if they're not on the lead. Yeah. Right? They're trained. They're well fed. But if I let them off the lead, <laughs> they're a lion. <laughs> right. Um, Mick, before we let you go. Yes. Is there anything right. you would like? Do you want to talk about <laughs> Uh, anything else anything you would like to uh plug like blog or where where we can find you online and that kind of stuff that you know like I said, the, the cryptic thing I was going to plug will be done by the time this goes out. So, uh, um, but look out for future cryptic arts events, folks. And if you are a disabled artist, get in touch, especially if you are from an underrepresented group or you have extra barriers, because we're very keen, you know, to promote people that really do have a hard time getting into the arts. We want you. Um, other than that, uh, I have the most empty diary I've had since lockdown started after november the 22nd so when this goes out i am available and ready to be hired at very reasonable rates for any job that you want from voiceovers to presenting to uh, access consultancy and advisory uh, and generally being a gobby git but that's about it and um, probably don't don't talk to me about tans. <laughs> uh, I am also available as a hairdresser, but as long as you only want a short, spiky haircut, because that's the only one where I can do. Can we find, can, where can people find you online, Mick, if they want to? Uh, I am. Uh, uh, it's um, mickscarlet.com online. Uh, uh, then there's uk if you want me for a sensible job where I wear a suit and don't talk as much bollocks as I have today. Uh, <laughs> Um, uh, then of course there's Twitter, so at Mick Scarlet. And remember, folks, when I say Mick Scarlet, it's M I K because I'm from the terrible eighties yeah. where we all thought it was trendy to drop yep. the letter C. <laughs> so we had Mick Kershaw, Rick Mail, and Mick Scarlet. Uh, so so uh, yes, um, and I'm on Instagram, but I, I think that's just at Mick Scarlet as well. Although I'm really rubbish at Instagram, it's just selfies and okay. rubbish. Um, and then Facebook is Facebook. There's there's one. We will put all the links to the stuff yeah. you've just said on the. Um, yeah, I'm not on TikTok. No, I'm, I'm not on the TikTok wrong, either. I'm the we're, wrong we're, age for that. I don't understand no, it. Mick, I don't get we're it. We're too old um, for TikTok, so don't worry. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. I... Oh, I see. I see. So if you're too old for it, I'm so ancient. <laughs> well, Michelle, I mean, <laughs> I will just remind you that me and Lucy used to watch you on TV when we were children. I know. I know, I know. Do you know what? It's very sweet. And the really scary bit was I, I, I had all these kids that used to be fans of me and they go, oh, yeah, mixed color. And I, I'd have to sign all these posters and stuff and send them out. And then um, I started meeting people and they were like teenagers. I'd be like, oh, yeah, God, I used to watch you. Then, then I'd met, meet people and they were kind of like in their 20s and I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. getting old. Then they'd meet people and go, look, 
look, this is the man I told you about <laughs> for their yeah. kids. This is the, I used to, when I was your age, I'd watch him on telly and these kids would look up and go, what? <laughs> right? And now I meet people, and not only are like you that are grown up, grown up, grown up, but now I meet people whose kids went, oh yeah, my, my mum needs to watch you. <laughs> 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 and I'm like, oh, so, and now they're going to their kids. Yeah, Granny used to watch him on telly when she was a little girl. I'm like, oh my god, I'm so old. At least you're oh, yeah. you're well remembered. If generations yeah, exactly. on, people are still talking about you. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> the only people that don't remember me are the media. It's like the the world loves me, but the people in telly the don't. The people that write the checks, they yeah. don't give a shit. <laughs> that's it. The, the people that could continue with me being on television, you know. I mean, let, let's face it. Now I kill. I tick two boxes. Not only am I disabled, but I'm yeah. old. <laughs> I'm 56 now. I'm a proper old person. It's great. I can go on a saga holiday. I can buy a house by the seaside at a discounted rate. <laughs> Mick, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This has been, been so fantastic. much fun, Mick. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great. <laughs> and now I, I can't wait to see what I said about my wife and how much trouble I get in when I actually find out what I'm sure I've said at least two things that means she's going to kick me in the bollocks. <laughs> I hope you fit in your calipers. Yeah, I gave them to a bloody fashion designer years ago, and he never oh. gave me back. I'd got my little caliper and everything, and he, he he gave it to a model, and I never saw it again. <laughs> oh well, those fashion designers—they're all a bit weird. Thank you, thank you for joining. It's been brilliant. Right. Thank you, Mick. Stop talking, Mick. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. We want to go. <laughs> thank you, everybody. We'll see Bye. you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Labelled Podcast. If you like the show, please rate, review and subscribe. You can follow us on social media at Labelled Podcast. Our thanks go to our editor, Adam Hall, our music composer, Maisie Crunden, and our graphic designer, Sarah Coney. We'll, we'll see, see you next time. time.